The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. You're listening to Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Unlock the power of your dreams. Welcome to Ask Dr. Dream with Kelly Sullivan Walden. Welcome everyone to the Ask Dr. Dream show where you uncover the truth of your dreams and reveal the beauty of who you are. I'm your host, Dr. Dream, Kelly Sullivan Walden. So happy to be here with you on Unity Online Radio. The number to call today if you have a question about your dreams or if you've got someone to forgive or if you know that you have an apology to make and you're just not quite sure how to do that, you got to listen and call in and ask a question. If you've got, if you've got a question, if you if you can dare to be that bold, the number to call is 816-251-3555. Because I've only got a little bit of time, I'm going to jump right into this interview. I normally do all kinds of stuff before I dive in, but I am there's just so much I want to do. I feel like um, I'm I'm diving in. So Sue Shapiro, Susan Shapiro is an award-winning writer and professor freelance. She freelances for the New York Times, New York Times Magazine, Washington Post, LA Times, Elle, Oprah, Wired, and just on and on. She's she's the best-selling author of Five Men Who Broke My Heart, Lighting Up, Unhooked, The Bosnia List, The Writing Guide, The, Bi- the Byline Bible, and her latest memoir is The Forgiveness Tour. So I have been really affected by this book in a profound way, and I'm kind of in the middle of it. So the, the I'm not a pearl yet, but there's sand in my oyster, and I'm so grateful this book couldn't be out at a better time. So Susan Shapiro, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, thank you for having me. Ah, okay. Well, first of all, I want to say that I had the blessing to meet you before COVID um, back a, a little over a year ago, and you're writing workshops have been life changing. You have so much wisdom and I, I'm, I'm going to have Aspen on my show next week, Aspen Mattis. So I'm just, I have to give a shout out to Aspen for introducing me to you and for you in ways that you don't even know you've changed my life. So if anyone's listening and you've got a book in you, you want to listen to this lady. Not only is she a great writing teacher, but she's an amazing writer herself. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, so let's dive in to the forgiveness tour. So this is this is your gosh, you've written so many memoirs. This is a first person memoir. It also blends investigative reporting. How did you how did this come about? Just take us to the beginning of this. Okay, so uh I had been writing for twenty three years, struggling before Therapy and a lot of hard work finally led me to uh, publish books. It started when I was 43, and I did two memoirs, Five Men Who Broke My Heart, and Lighting Up, How I Stopped Smoking, Drinking, and Everything Else I Loved in Life Except Sex. And one was about (laughs) my screwed-up relationships, and the other one was about my screwed-up addictions. And uh, those first books, after banging my head against the wall for 23 years, they were funny and took about six months each. And I felt like, okay, I finally broke through. So uh, Lighting Up was about my relationship with my addiction specialist who helped me quit cigarettes, alcohol, dope, gum, bread, uh, just just really 
fix my life in a lot of ways and help me get married and um, help me <clears throat> triple my income and teach mm. more. And so he was a very important person in my life. Dr. Winters um, is what I call him in the book. Um, and while I was going through the addiction therapy, um, he told me if I do everything he says, within a year I'll be able to sell this book that I had been trying to sell for years and years. So nine months into the addiction therapy, as I was going through withdrawal, I met this fantastic Random House editor and started doing uh, books with her. And I was so happy. And he kept saying to me, you're too happy. And for several years after, he's like, this isn't how addiction therapy goes. You can't be jumping up and down excited. You're supposed to go through depression. You have to go through mourning. And he said, you're too happy. And I just thought he was crazy and didn't know what he was talking Mm -hmm. about. And I was special. And then five years into the addiction therapy when I was still seeing him and I was, um, you know, clean and sober and drug-free, he and I had a horrible falling out and everything came crashing down. And so uh, the biggest problem I had with our falling out, because he'd been my guru actually at this point for almost two decades, but so um, the biggest problem I had was he didn't think he did anything wrong and refused to apologize. Mm -hmm. And he had lied to me repeatedly. And so I freaked out and I started writing about it. And in my head, I thought, oh, I'll just write a fun sequel to Lighting Up. And it turned into a 10-year ordeal where it just got darker and twistier and weirder. And I needed research and I needed experts and I needed luminaries. And I would put it aside to work on other projects, which were much easier. But then I kept coming back to it. So the forgiveness store, how to find the perfect apology, that's how it began. Um, And it turned out... It's still. I still see it as a sequel to Lighting Up, but it's not the funny light sequel that I thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. No, it's deep. It's profound, and it's Thank funny. You. And um, and I there's so many gems. I've highlighted so many, so many gems. I mean, one of my favorite Dr. Winter's quotes is "Live, lead the most secretive life possible." Yeah, lead the least secretive life you can. He always told me, and I'll tell you something interesting about that was. Mm-hmm. He taught me that, and then after I had a falling out with him, I really was at a loss, but I still had these things in in my head, and so I kept that in my mind, and so I actually talked about what had happened with us, and I wrote about it, and I talked about it, and I was very public about it, and fascinatingly, I think that's what eventually led him to apologize to me, Mm -hmm. and I actually asked him. You know, because he cared about his reputation and we knew so many people in common. And at one point when he did apologize, I actually just sold a um, an excerpt from the book if anyone wants to check it out in, in The Fix magazine called The Fix. But when I said to him, you know, are you just apologizing me to shut me up? He said, yes, yeah, shut up already. <laughs> and And we had an interesting conversation about it. But what I realized was I didn't care what the reason was for him to come clean and apologize and explain. I just wanted him to. And so what I later realized was he actually taught me how to get over him and 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 fix the argument because by leading the least secretive life I can, he had no choice but to apologize to me because he wanted me to stop talking about it. That's so it was hilarious. kind of interesting that he yeah he had given me the tools to you know get over him and deal with him. Oh, I have to say that when I first when I opened up the book, I I didn't think I was going to learn anything new because it, to kind of out myself, I thought oh, I know how to do all this. I'm I'm a really forgiving person. This is this I'm just going to read it because I'm interested and I always love whatever Sue does. But I I started dreaming as I was writing about this. I I sent this in my newsletter today. I had a dream that I was yelling at someone who hadn't learned how to speak English yet and 
and I was I was saying you have to learn this language. It's really important for your life, and you can't just go around being kind of half ass about that. And I realized in the dream, oh my God, I'm talking to myself. I only know half this language. Oh, and I realized there's there's um, someone very important to me that I haven't forgiven. And I I think I'm kind of, you know, I could, I don't know, pat myself on the back and say, I'm really good at this, but your book was, so I would dare say that anyone listening to this show probably thinks they're pretty good at forgiveness, probably like I did, but there's a, there's more layers to it. And there's people that have forgiven some of the most, some atrocities that we think are unforgivable. I just, as coincidence would have it, I just watched a pre, a screening for um, a movie with Desmond Tutu and the Dalai Lama. And they talk about that forgiving the horrors that they've lived through. <laughs> and I thought, Oh, wow, this is in a way. Right, and I this- interview a Holocaust survivor and some, and the, um, the a survivor of, um, ethnic cleansing, uh, you know, um, for the Bosnian War, and uh, a man who forgave uh, the drunk driver who killed his wife and two children. So I did go very deep into, um, you know, what can be forgiven, and also can you forgive without an apology? Um, And I just want to say one thing, too, which is there's the the billion-dollar forgiveness industry, which pretty much promotes radical forgiving everybody everything, and that's not what this book is about at all. In fact, there are several people, including including the Holocaust survivor Manny Mandel, who not only doesn't forgive after Germany apologizes for what they did, what the Nazis did in World War II, he thrived out of spite. Mm. So I actually have many stories where people chose not to forgive for really interesting reasons. And so I was very intrigued to ask them more questions about, okay, you didn't forgive, you never forgave, so how do you get over it? So, yeah, so it's not the book is not just saying you should forgive everybody everything. In fact, there's a there's a terrible story with um, uh, Sharice was very brave to tell me her story Mm -hmm. about how um, her father raped her when she was a kid and her um, when she was a teenager and all the religious figures in her life pressed her to uh, forgive him so that they could keep the family intact together. And then he Mm -hmm. tried again. So that's an example where, um, you know, like a fake apology or defective apology that where someone really hasn't done the work is could be dangerous. Right. I think that's a big piece that you can I mean, for myself, I feel like with with the person in my life that I'm kind of challenged by, I feel like I can forgive her. But that doesn't mean. And now we resume. Now we go back. Exactly. To exactly. In fact, yeah. In fact, I'm working on a piece right now about there's seven different reasons to forgive. And one of them involves forgiving for yourself, but you never have to see the person again the rest of your life. That's one way to forgive somebody. So not only do you not have to resume the, you know, any kind of connection, you don't have to sanction anything they did, but you can forgive for yourself. In fact, that's pretty much what happened with Gary Weinstein, the Michigan man who forgave his, um, the, the drunk driver who killed his wife and two children. I don't think he'll ever see the person again. Uh, the man is in jail. Mm-hmm. The man paid reparations. Gary fought to make sure his license was taken away forever. Right. Um, but Gary chose to do it in order to um, do something good with the loss and become a voice of forgiveness and be able to move on with his life. And that those are really good reasons to forgive someone, but it absolutely doesn't mean that you have to resume any kind of connection to the person. 
Right. Well, I think the key to it that I'm hearing from all of this is it's it's a it's a function of vitality and well-being. So whatever works for you that gives you that joie, that I mean, whatever that is. I mean, even it you can getting... be. It can be. I mean, you know, one of the one of the ideas and the reason why I interviewed so many religious figures yeah. from from all different, um, you know, all different religions and doctors and shrinks and and then thirteen people was it's extremely nuanced. So every scenario is different. Um, every Every apology or every need for an apology is different, um, you know, so it, there's no forgiveness blanket. There's no rule that says you have to forgive anybody. Um, in fact, in many situations, for example, with uh, sexual abuse, um, mm-hmm. you know, forgiving could be dangerous. You know, right. and, and, you know, and there's all, and there's all kinds of ways to move on without forgiving if you're not ready. So it's not, a lot of people assume that, it, oh, it's one of those forgiveness books that just says forgive everybody everything. And it's not, in fact, my biggest struggle was deciding whether I can forgive somebody who didn't apologize. And even though I kind of tried very desperately to do that, it wasn't until there was a full apology with the four elements, including reparation, that I would even see him. Let's talk about the four elements, because I think these are really clear and they come from a lot of research and it's a great distillation. So what are those four elements? Um, Yeah, so the four elements of a good apology is um, a uh, uh, sincere expression of regret, an Mm -hmm. explanation for what happened, um, a uh, proof that it will never happen again, and reparations to, you know, to fix the damage. So what happens is a lot of people say, a lot of people give ineffective apologies. In fact, there's this hilarious website called Sorry Watch where they (laughs) uh, analyze Weasley and defective apologies. You know, so there's all kinds of really crappy apologies. Like at one point, Dr. Winters, when I I told him I thought I deserved an apology, he said, I'm sorry for the imaginary crime you think I've committed, which made me want to commit a real crime. Right. And so and and so and, there, you know, so a bad apology can make things worse. In fact, I wrote a piece for The New York Times about um, how how you can make it more likely that people will apologize to you. And now I'm working on a new piece about what not to do in an apology um, for Self Magazine. And what you don't do is you don't say if or but. I'm sorry um, if you're hurt. I'm sorry, right. but you're too sensitive. <laughs> you know, there's there's a lot of ways that you can really screw up an apology. And even if you sincerely say, I'm really sorry I did that, that's not enough. That's not enough. Why did you do that? And how are you never going to do it again? And how are you going to make up for it? You know, so um, one of the things people always say to me when they read this book, they ask, does this make you more forgiving? And I would say, no, not at all. But it did make me more conscious of um, how to give a good apology. So when I screw something up, I'm much, much better at really saying to somebody, you know, I screwed up. I'm sorry. I'm never going to do it again. Here's why it happened. And here's how I want to fix it. And so that was that, you know, that was really important. And I learned, you know, not only the importance of a good apology, but just for an example, the importance of a reparation. You know, right. because that to some people yeah. that could be the most important part of the apology. Right, right. Like not the lip service, but but some form of action, some form of living. Exactly, and it's part of the reason why damages and uh, you know mm-hmm. um, financial reparations are part of a lot of uh, legal settlements. You right. know, in war tribunals, it's because yeah. you know if you've taken away something from somebody, give it back. 
Right. Exactly. Don't just say, oh, sorry. And now we're going to keep on having this, the thing that we took from you. So one of the pieces I want to, I want to mention, and I, and I want everyone to get this book. So we're not, believe me, we're not giving away what's in the book. This is just some of the sizzle. There's a lot of stake. You could give it away. I've done a lot of excerpts. So I've actually, there's a lot of excerpts like from the end of the book where there is an apology coming. So it's not, you know, I I think if it's a mystery novel, you don't give it away, but if it's a memoir. That's true. Okay. So, so at the end, (laughs) so let's just go there because to me, this is, this is kind of where my work and your work overlap a little. I, I like to call it dream crafting where if, and, and believe me, I have, I have more work to do on this myself. It's easier for me to teach it than it is for me to practice it. I'm outing myself, but you kind of, you in some way, um, and I'm not saying the exact words, but it's like you design like what you wish they would have said. You write the letter to them and maybe you send it, maybe you don't. And I, maybe in some cases you do, but then, um, writing to yourself what you wish they would have said, and then maybe even give that to them. I, an example, one of my, one of my best friends um, had a f- really hard, hard falling out with her mom and her mom kept saying all the wrong things. And she finally in the letter kind of wrote, this is what I wished you would say. And her mom said, well, this is exactly what I, what I've been saying. This is what I meant. And it was like, ah, okay, we're good. It's like, even right. if, yeah, no, that's really, that's important. And also I will say when you read the end of the book, what you'll see is that I manifested my own apology, that the apology that I wanted in many ways, but really in a very bizarre, funny, literal way, there's a trick ending about the apology that yes. I got. Yeah. And it didn't, you know, some people say, well, it, I want it to be real or it has to be coming from the heart or it has to be their words. But interestingly, in this scenario, the, the, the doctor was just doing something I wanted him to stop and I didn't really care where it came from. I just wanted him to acknowledge what had happened and stop doing it and come up with a reparation, which he did. You know, so there really is a way that you can um, manifest the apology you want and it could lead to great things. Like just for an example, Kenan, the Bosnian war survivor, when I met him, he was 29 or 30, and he was still completely enraged that the Serb government had never apologized for mass slaughter. Uh, The Christian Orthodox Serbs had slaughtered his people. I mean, you know, 300,000 dead in the Balkan war. And um, he never forgave. And he felt he was just so outraged because unlike Germany, they didn't lose a war. There were no reparations and they didn't apologize. And he really was not in a healing place. He was just enraged. And so I said to him, we talked about it a lot. I said, you should write about this. And he really, the way he started writing it was he wrote a list of the 12 Serbs he wanted to avenge for what they did to his family. You know, so he was coming from a place of rage. So as he kept writing about it, I said, write the apology that you want. And he did. And he kept writing about it. And first of all, fascinatingly, he wound up becoming a spokesperson for his people because no young Bosnian at that point was writing for the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal and, uh, you know, a Salon and Slate about what happened. So, number one, that was really empowering. But then what was really fascinating was um, the short pieces led to a book called The Bosnia List, which I helped him write because English wasn't his first language. And in the book, I, I explained to him there has to be an emotional arc. So you can't start out enraged at the Serbs and end enraged at the Serbs because then nothing <laughs> has taken place. And at right. one point I said to him, could you write a list of 
this, his mother always used to say, there's good in every people. There's, there's still good Serbs. And he would say, I could count them on one finger. And I said, that's not really true, because when you told me the story, there were little stories of like one Serb neighbor who got you food and somebody else helped you get the papers to get out of the country. So I said, do me a favor. I know you wrote a list of the 12 people you want to avenge, but could you try really hard to write a list of the people who, the Serbs who helped your family? So he says, I'm going to try, but it's impossible. And he came back with 12 people. And so it was like a bus driver who waited in a snowstorm to make sure that his family was going to Vienna and someone that sent his his family money to help them, you know. So and so there was like, yeah, so there was really so interestingly, by writing about what he wanted exactly, um, he not only empowered himself, then interestingly, um, there were young Serbs who read the book who wrote him an apology. And it was fascinating because it wasn't the people who perpetuated the murders, but a younger generation who who understood. So that was very meaningful to him. And then the the added step, which blew my mind, was a lot of people wrote him and said, you know, they loved the book, a lot of young Bosnians, you know, and he'd never really he'd never really come to terms with the fact that he um, grew up in America. And he even said to his parents, who am I going to marry? You know, cause he's like, you know, he's in this um, crowd of uh, uh, Jews and, and, and Christians in Connecticut. And so the nicest email he got about his book was a, a woman in Sarajevo, which was the, the Bosnian capital where he'd never even visited, um, wrote him and said, this book meant so much to me. They are now married Wow. And and what's wow. amazing is that he then oh, goes back wow. to Sarajevo, the capital he never saw because he left oh. at 12, and he um, proposed to her with her whole family, and now he has a Bosnian family and basically two places to live. So what we said, oh, you know, what's so beautiful is so by facing down his past and sort of wow. saying exactly what he wanted, he found his future. Oh, that is so powerful. Sue, you've touched so many lives. Thank you. Uh, I'm thinking about so having the Dalai Lama fresh on my mind and then kind of putting it together with you and your book. <laughs> I don't mean to overflate, inflate your ego, <laughs> but I'm like putting you two in the same category. The Dalai Lama said in the documentary, um, and it's called Act Like a Holy Man, by the way, when it comes out. My friend Peggy Callahan is one of the producers. Um, he said that it was important for him to find the good in this horrible tragedy about being exiled from the country that he loved. And he said one of the blessings is that he was forced to go beyond the world that he was very focused on and he was forced to to learn so many new things and to meet so many new people. And I would say in some way you were kicked out of the world that you loved, the world that you had, the nice little bubble that you had with Dr. Winters, and you were kind of forced into exile to kind of find your own other other ways to heal. So in some weird way, like this, it was, it was, I mean, I'm looking at it like it's a blessing because of this book, this contribution that you've created, and it's making me then look at myself and say, okay, there's some blessing that I've been hurt in the way that I've been hurt. And even though I haven't found it yet, maybe it's going to cause me to expand my circle, open up and learn something new. And And by the way, at the end of the book, I I have a list of books I read while writing the forgiveness tour. And one of them is the book of forgiving the fourfold path for healing ourselves and our world by Desmond Tutu and Mofo Tutu. Yes. Yes, it definitely affected me. 
Oh, yeah. It's, oh, he's so powerful. And so I want to also just acknowledge how, as a writing teacher, they, one of the blessings, weird blessings in disguise, I'm always looking for them, of COVID is that you, who live in New York City, New York, New York, and people who could study with you used to be only people in New York or people like me that flew to right, New York just here. to be right. with you. But now people can find you all over the world. I was on a, on a, in a class with you with somebody from Pisa. So, so how, what's the best way people can reach you and, and take any of your writing workshops and. Oh yeah. So and- by the way, and I'm surprised because I'm really a technophobe and I had to, I just had to do zoom classes um, in March <laughs> just to finish my classes. And I didn't really know what I was doing and it turned into, I, I just can't believe how much I love it. It's just yeah. amazing. And so I've had, yeah, I have classes. I have this in the same zoom class. I've had people where it's in, it, it's, uh, they're from, they're in uh, Vietnam and Malaysia and Hong Kong and they're waking up in the morning and you could see the light. And in the same class, it's Germany and Brussels and Pisa mm-hmm. and it's at night. So it's wow. fascinating. Yeah. So I'm doing a lot of them. I'm doing, um, uh, sell your first book class and a pitching editor's class where you, you know how to break into you know good newspapers and magazines and I do these instant essay seminars so yeah you just on my website and by the way on social media I um, I post everything so um, you know you could follow me on Twitter it's um, Susan Shapiro net and Instagram it's Prof Sue one two three and uh, my website is Susan Shapiro so um, yeah so and it's and I um, I have to do a lot of cold emailing myself for my own work so I promise to answer any email that I get. So it's um, profsue123 at gmail.com, but I answer all my emails. And I, um, yeah, and I, and I post everything that's going on on social media. Actually, my favorite thing to post is um, when people get published, when people publish their pieces. Uh, so I have a whole, um, you know, uh, Facebook groups and, um, and Twitter where I love. And I have so many students that have done books now. So that's very exciting. Oh my God! I hope I'll be one of them. I mean, I've got. By the way, by other... the way, I um, I have a dream. Did you notice? There's a dream in the forgiveness tour, which is that right after the story happens, where Doctor Winters, um, mm. he's a student of mine and lies about it. I and and my mother has red hair, and the student had red hair, oh, and I yes. had a dream. Yeah, yeah, and I had a dream that uh, Doctor Winters was eloping with the the <laughs> redheaded daughter I didn't have. <laughs> When I told it to a shrink, he said to me, uh, the, the um, Hindu-born psychiatrist, when I told him, he said, even your dreams have been in therapy. <laughs> <laughs> your dreams? Because it was therapy. so edible, right? It was so edible. How could it get more edible? Oh, my God. So amazing. Sue, thank you so much for all that you've done. And and I wanted to say for people who, because I know a lot of people who are listening to this have a book in them. One of the, People say, oh, it's so hard to get published. And, you know, it's like the odds are against you. But not when you work with Susan Shapiro. I mean, you've you've broken the odds. There's it's like you've cracked the code and it doesn't mean that it's like a three-step method and it's done. There's a lot of hard work, but but in your world, it really feels like anything is possible. It's possible and you one of the ways to do it is through the humiliation essay. We only have a minute, but I, can I, can you give one last tip whether about forgiveness or about writing in our last Right, and in my book Byline Bible 
how to get published in five weeks. I give all of the assignments that I give my students for 25 years at NYU, Columbia, and um, the new school, um, the assignments that editors are most likely to buy. So what I found is, you know, you don't want to write a piece on how cute my kids or my cats are. There needs to be drama, <laughs> conflict, tension. So I found that the best um, the best uh, prompt is write three double-spaced type pages about your most humiliating secret. And it's especially good if you could make it timely. So, for example, a lot of my students have published great pieces about what they've gone through with COVID. And we're talking to Susan Shapiro, susanshapiro.net. Sue, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Kelly. All right. And we'll see you on the other end of this break. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Dream interpretation and a lot more. Welcome back to Ask Dr. Dream with Kelly Sullivan Walden. Welcome back to the Ask Dr. Dream show. I'm Kelly Sullivan Walden, a.k.a. Dr. Dream, and I am just buzzing. Having Susan Shapiro, just being around her or thinking about her, I literally feel like I'm zapped with energy, and it just, it's so exciting. I, I feel so thrilled. I mean, I'm excited to forgive. I'm excited to apologize. <laughs> I'm excited to write. Um, so make sure you check out her new book, The Forgiveness Tour, How to Find the Perfect Apology. And she also wrote this incredible book called The Five Men Who Broke My Heart, Lighting Up, Unhooked, and The Byline Bible. Those are all books that I absolutely recommend. Okay. So we've got Nancy T. Come, She came back with us. Nancy T., welcome back. Hey, I'm so glad I'm here. And, you know, I've heard nothing but good things about Susan. And I know how she's your grand mentor and what she means to you. <laughs> so I, I wanted you two to have that time alone to just, <laughs> you know, take it all in and drink it. And I can be on, right here for the dreams. How's that? <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. So we are going to take your dreams and we are. Okay. So let's. Um. Oh, did you want to pull a card quick, Nancy? And then we'll go sure. to we're going to go to Susie from Los Angeles. Awesome. Okay. So, this card is bring your highest to your lowest. Call to mind your greatest strength, the aspect of you that is the most spiritually mature. <laughs> now infuse mm. that power into the place where you feel the weakest or most vulnerable. You will be a more powerful force to reckon with. Bam. And boy, do I need to hear that because I've been talking about how immature I am lately. So apparently that one was for me, but I hope other people were enriched by it as well. <laughs> well, you can't be that immature if you're like calling yourself out. So I'd say you're a lot more mature than you even think you are. Okay. Oh, boy, <laughs> On I that note, you. Susie. Susie <gasps> Hey, Hello. welcome. Hi. Hello. Well, thank you. Hi, everybody. Hi, um, Susie. Hi, everybody. By the way, Susie's been on the what? show. Susie's the author of King Lillian. And I think we're due to have you back on again, Susie, so we can talk about talk oh. more about your book. But in the meantime, well, what's I on your good. heart, heart, mind, Here's and soul? Here's what's on my heart, mind, and soul because Susan Shapiro, I'm so um, uh, resonating and and uh, and mm. deeply intrigued by, by what you're talking about. And what occurs to me, and I, I can't actually formulate this as a question, but I'd love you to respond to this little 
sort of nonlinear clump of thought around <laughs> apology, which is uh, I feel as if we don't have, as in Kelly's dream, we don't have culturally a really fluid language for apology at all. I feel like culturally the it, apologies are not with the exception of 12 steps. Uh, it, it, they're not, they're not valued. They're not, uh, they're expected somehow in some vague sort of way, but they're not really valued. And I, and I say one particularly uh, concrete example of this cultural thing is at some point I was looking for, I was trying to write a little something called the art of the apology. And I went Ooh. looking for, oh, wow. uh, oh. it was just a little something or another, a little posty kind of a thing. And I uh-huh. went looking for quotes. I found it fascinating that I could not find a a brilliant quote by a brilliant person. Uh, All I kept seeing was some version of never apologize, never explain. Oh, oh, God. So that 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 just because because apology is so, you know, interwoven with forgiveness. I just wondered if you had any. Um, Susan, kind of resonating ideas around our particular culture and well, the, the valuing apology. Okay, well, I'm going to have to channel Sue because <laughs> we only had the He's first gone. half hour with her, but I will oh channel. Oh my God, I'm such a dork. Oh my no, God, no, you not guys. at all. Go on, talk. No, no, not at all, not at all. Well, having read the forgiveness tour, and I and I have to, you know, I just got the book, so I haven't read it cover to cover. I've read most of it, but it does it does explore. And actually, in at the back of her book, she does have this um this great index about like kind of the art of the apology, not not said she didn't say it exactly that way and it'd be really great if I could just quickly pull it up but no I'm not you mean the four steps that she was talking about her four steps exactly but then also she does oh here it is here we go um no no that's not it okay I'm not finding it quickly but here's she does talk about um all the things that kind of are important to go into it like and ways that you can elicit like I mean, to me, that one of the things that I mentioned earlier is what resonated with me is you, there's a lot we can do on the inner plane. We can write our own yeah. request, like we can yeah. write our own venting letter to the person, yeah. and we can say all the things, and we don't have to be politically correct in that venting letter because it can be a letter that we don't send. And then once we get that out, that yeah. be out of our bonnet, we can then actually send a letter and say because in many instances, Susan found out in this rat, this ten year tour she was on, is that most people that that hurt our feelings didn't even know it. Or in many Correct. instances, they were drunk or they were they were so preoccupied in their own life that they had no idea that they had stepped on our toes and crushed them and left us like injured. So sometimes they don't know it. So it, it's helping yeah. like once you get the bee out of your bonnet so that you don't just write a scathing letter that they're going to think you're crazy when they look at. But Correct. getting all that yuck out of the system and then writing an actual letter to that person. I say letter because she does talk about like handwriting some letters that you send that people really read that to just say, um, just so you know, you might not have known, and I'm adding a little bit of Brene Brown here with some of the, Brene Brown talks about being generous with people when you're asking for an apology, saying you might, like generous in terms of 
not assuming that they meant to hurt you, assuming that it was a mistake. Right. I bet you didn't mean sure. to hurt me when you said this or when you didn't call back or when you didn't do whatever, but this is how it happened. And like kind of giving them the benefit of the doubt. And, and I, and it has hurt me and this is why, and I'm letting you know this because I'm open and in and still possibly having a relationship with you if we can, you know, have some kind of resolution. I want to give you the chance to to make it right. And these are some of the things that I wish I would hear from you. And right. I, I mean, I think it's kind of brilliant to let them know what the bullet points are that would be meaningful to you. It's not just like, oh, I'm a stupid, screwed up person. Sorry. No, it's like, right. you know, so I don't know. Those are some of the things that I got from it. Nancy, what about you? You, you've had a chance to look at the book. Is there anything that you're resonating with? You know, what's funny is I totally want to talk about a Kellyism and it's not nothing against Sue, but this, what reminds me of this is that is the, uh, the dream crafting and yeah. that ability where we, where we step into another person's shoes and we say, this is what they would have said. Sometimes I feel like I don't need an yeah. apology once that's happened. Mm -hmm. If you want to explain yeah. that to Susie, mm -hmm. it's just such a, an amazing tool that has helped me. And I realized that the couple of times where I've come to you with an issue and I've said, this mm -hmm. is something that really bothered me. And I feel like I'm due an apology. That dream crafting is the moment where you give that to me and mm -hmm. It doesn't seem to matter anymore that it didn't come from that person's lips because you relate it to their higher self, which, of course, when they're doing that awful thing, that heinous thing to you, they're not coming out of their higher self. So I I, right. I think that's what I'm thinking of in this moment. Oh, and you're so and Joey. cute. <laughs> and Joey, you've got to give Joey Sutton some props yes, there Sutton. on that one. Yeah. I mean, everybody has a higher self. And if they were coming from their higher self, we can all kind of imagine what their higher self would, would say. And there is something satisfying about hearing those words, even if it doesn't come out of that person's mouth. But here's the spooky part. When we do dream crafting, sometimes it does seem to pave the way for that person to actually say those things. It's happened to me on many occasions where out of the blue, the person says the very thing that I wished they had said because mm -hmm. I've dream crafted it. So is that helping at all, Susie? Well, it wasn't so much. I mean, it's all fascinating and I'm down with every single thing both of you had said and totally agree. It was more, uh, less personal as a question and more mm. cultural. More of the idea yeah. that I feel yeah. when I was looking for quotes and I noticed that our culture, particularly Americans, you got to be the winner. you got to be the right one. you got to be the one. Yeah. I'm just saying that I think, yes, between, you know, the three of us yeah. and many people listening, we're kind of self-scrutinizing about, oh, I wonder if what I said hurt her feelings or, oh, I wonder yeah. if I... You know, right. all of that. But the fact that I think that so much of the reasons, because I was listening to your dream, and the fact that we're not fluent as a society right. oh, in, in, in valuing apology and saying, because it's a sign of character if someone can walk and stand in their own shame. I think that's part of it as well, you know, right. to, to be able to stand deeply in it. I, I just think it's, it's culturally embedded in many ways. 
I think you're right. I think you're right. And I think we're part of the leading edge of like creating part of the zeitgeist where it becomes cool to say, I'm sorry, or mea culpa, or, or what can I do to make it right? Where, where that's kind of what we, we strive for, like to be quick, to be able to do that. So maybe, maybe we're at a changing time. And what do they say? Margaret Mead said it. It's never, um, what is it? It's a small group of thoughtful individuals that change things. It doesn't have to be yeah. a million people at the same time, but maybe we're, we're yeah. part of that. Well, thank you so much for calling in, Susie. You're such a dreamboat and so smart thank and you for so provocative. Me. Bye, ladies. So appreciate Bye, you. Thank sweet. you, honey. Bye. Okay, so let's go to Christopher. Christopher, it's been a while <laughs> since we've gotten to talk. Hi, finally, did you get my email? And welcome to the show. I did. Thank you uh, uh, so much. Yeah, um, I had a dream. A couple of them it repeated uh, itself. Uh, it's kind of almost like a nightmare. I remember okay. after watching the Netflix show Community, I dreamt oh. I was the uh, male <laughs> character Jeff. We had this uh-huh. on-again, off-again relationship with a blonde female, Britta. So uh-huh. I asked Britta out on a dream weekend date in Hawaii, in Waikiki. Everything was perfect. A suite at the Royal Hawaiian Hotel, balcony <laughs> overlooking the beach, white sand, blue sky. And I'm in the room making plans for a romantic weekend and then go downstairs to the bar to see Britta sipping a drink with a handsome guy sitting next to her that he had bought her. She was exchanging numbers with him. So I was outraged in this dream and made a dramatic scene saying, you couldn't even be with me for one weekend. I leave your luggage and airplane ticket at the front desk. And I stopped Mm. off hurt and angry thinking that backstabbing bitch, I will never forgive her. (laughs) And the next night I had the same dream. Uh, this wow. time I was easier, and I just said goodbye, Britta. I'm flying back tonight, and I walked off feeling hurt and sad. So I had the dream a third time, wow. and uh, this time I wondered what I wasn't picking up on. So I remember you, Kelly, saying that we're all the characters in our dreams. And I did a technique from video games called body hopping, where you Ooh. jump into another character's body and look through their eyes. And inside Britta's head, I could see she wasn't being mean to me. She was prepared Mm. to give it a chance, but was friendly to the guy next to her because someday in the future, she knew Jeff would break up with her back in Los Angeles. And she felt embarrassed when Jeff walked in on her. So I body hopped back into my character and sat next to her and mentally forgave her. I mean, she was embarrassed and smiled and had a great weekend. And I woke up that morning energized and happy, feeling great. So I realized a couple of things. First, how much time and effort I'd spent in the past creating scenarios just because I didn't have the guts to come out and say goodbye because I Mm. felt like I would die when I said it. Mm. So I usually made the other person say it, and I walked off with, well, if that's what you want. (laughs) <laughs> and secondly, with irony, it was this dream that I'm in the land of aloha, where mm. hello, goodbye, and I love you all mean the same thing, and people accept all three. And third, she was embarrassed, which is like an apology, so I totally yeah. forgave her for being impolite. I realized she wasn't being evil to me. And finally, that I'm really grateful to you, Kelly, for teaching me about body hopping, that all characters <laughs> in the dream are us. I'm 
just trying to think about that. I'd learned that in Buddhism about real life being done with mirrors, but I hadn't thought about dreams. So thank you, and I plan to do more body hopping in the future and forgiving other parts of myself. Oh, my God. Chris, this is so great. Bravo to you for having this awareness and having this trilogy of dreams. I always think when things happen in threes, there's something super, there's an initiation happening. And I'm... And I, I'm going to borrow the phrase body hopping. I normally just say everyone in the dream is you, but I'm going to I'm going to give you credit for the, for the first thousand times I use it. Um, I think it's wonderful. And I thought it was an interesting wordplay. If it were my dream that the Brita, the name Brita just sounds like brittle, like it's forgiving this brittle part. You know, just that's interesting that the part that's doing the hurting might not be as strong as it as it seems. And it just makes me wonder if you were able to connect the dots between an aspect of your life that this was reflecting, like maybe where if it were my dream, I'd wonder where where have I not honored myself or where was I out of sync with the feminine aspect of myself that was because to me, in some way, this is also a play of the masculine and the feminine, um, but ultimately it coming around and having healing. Did you Were you able to connect the dots to an aspect of your life that this related to? Uh, well, I had done that many, many times in the past of uh, coming up with ah. scenarios because uh, I was too chicken to uh, say goodbye uh, to a mm. relationship. Oh. So I had these, the three dreams were kind of like a triptych. Uh, yeah. On a work of art, huh? <laughs> yeah, yes, exactly, exactly. And our previous so, caller, Susie, she's a big yeah. three person. She's all yeah. into that number. <laughs> so I just think this is so cool that we just spoke with Susie, and now you come on with your three dreams. And I, my first thought was, well, what does he need us for? I mean, this guy's amazing. <laughs> yeah. But, so brilliant how you did the body hopping, which, yeah, we don't ever really call it that, but that's a great way of putting it. We are now. And how you saw it. I mean, right away, he took it to the streets. He saw exactly how he does it in his life. You're you're amazing, Chris. He's enlightened. And I think there's there's something to learn about what, it's something to learn about the body hopping. It's easier to think about that we can do that when it's related to a dream but not yeah. so easy necessarily in our waking lives, although our waking lives are also a dream. So it makes me think on the subject of forgiveness. So this dream couldn't yeah. be more perfect on today is to be able to as quickly as possible, put ourselves in the shoes of the other person and, and do our best to assume forgiveness and forgiveness. I mean, to assume innocence and in the forgiveness, that doesn't necessarily mean that we keep putting ourselves in harm, harm's way. It just means that we don't have to suffer and feel like they they did this to me. So bravo mm-hmm. to you, Chris, for for having this incredible awareness. And thank you for sharing this. I think it's so powerful. So always appreciate hearing from you. And thank you. Yeah, forgiveness road. is not the same as agreeing with. Uh, but uh, right. forgiving myself sure is a lot easier than forgiving others. Yeah, we have a lot more control over that. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you much. Thank you. All right. So, Kel, you know, when when you say that, like looking at a person from the perspective of they're not doing something to you, they don't intend to be that way. I can tell you in my world where where I have somebody who continually bothers me when I come at it from the perspective (laughs) of now, wait a minute. 
I don't think this person's trying to do this to hurt me. Every time my forgiveness, it just comes slamming through the door. You know, I could, tr- right. I could try to put it off and it comes to play. So um, I yeah. think that's a beautiful thing. Yeah, definitely. Okay. So Denise, I know that you always get right to it and we're going to see if we can get right to your dream because it wouldn't be a show without you. So take it away. Hi, Denise. Hi. Yeah, I talk fast any, any other time. I'm going to really talk fast today. Um, um, I had did the training with, with um, Nancy and I had this oh. dream after, but uh, so a girlfriend let's of just mine. Say, hang on. Let me just slow you down for one second. So the training, you're talking about the body code or you're talking about the emotion she did code? Emotion you code. The emotion yeah, the code. Chocolate. So by the way, yeah. if anyone else wants to do it, you can go to nancytelzero.com and book a session for your healing with um, the emotion code and even the body code. Okay, keep going, Denise. And I, th- I think I brought it up. But anyway, uh, long story short, I had a girlfriend who missed, who did not come to my father's funeral. That just devastated mm. me. And I think I brought it up with Nancy. But anyway, I had a dream. Um, that I, I saw her in the dream. I was at a store or something, and she came up to me, and she tried to hug me, and yeah. I was just, you know, I kind of pushed her back. Not literally, right. but I'm like, whatever. So in reference to what your, um, the, the, the person on the phone, yes. I mean, the Susan, Susan Shapiro. I yeah, I, I, you know, I don't know, because I don't know as much about dreams, but in that dream, I still must be having some hidden anger because yeah. in the dream, I was like, no, no, I, I just, I was rude. I didn't say anything, but my body language was like, you know something, I am not hugging you. Ooh. And I think in the dream, I even thought to myself, no, you missed my fault. And this has been since 2007. And I just, but I believe me and Nancy brought it up because it happened at least mm-hmm. a day after or that same night. And I thought I brought mm-hmm. it up with Nancy, but, um, and Denise, no, I, I remember made, um, I remember you talking about this dream a while ago as well. And it, mm-hmm. and I, and you know, my, my, she, if it were my, go ahead. She kissed my, uh, one time there was a dream where I went somewhere and I was getting my feet done or something. And yes, she pedicure, became right. the person doing my feet. There, yes. that's, that's the dream I had. Yes. yes. You know what? Well, so first of all, all the time. I suggest that you read the forgiveness to her because there's so many different angles because my normal go-to is just forgive and forget, like move on. It's like, you know, when we don't forgive, it's like eating poison and expecting somebody else to get sick, blah, blah, blah. But what I like about Susan's book is that it talks about all these different variations and sometimes it's not, Mm -hmm. we're not ready to forgive and there's a process, but I think it doesn't hurt to do at least the part that we have some control over which is to maybe write that scathing letter, write that, okay. write about your pain. And then when you're, when you've gotten that out of your system, then maybe, you know, send some kind of, send some kind of um, letter or email to her and just say, you know, by the way, I don't know if you feel like doing that, but at least writing the letter of what you would mm-hmm. say, like you might not, you might wonder, I mean, this hurt me. And what I, and I, I think to do the work on the inner plane, which is for you, Denise, to identify what would it take to have freedom and peace here? I mean, the four steps, which are acknowledgement of what went wrong, the being, the showing remorse for it, um, being willing to clean it up. And I'm missing one of the steps um, oh, and what an, will an you do for it or something like that? It was an explanation for like why, why that oh, happened. Yeah. Wondering if you, if you could get, like ask her for those things, you know, these are the things and, and that I, I, 
I okay. did run into her like about a year later, accidentally. Her daughter was having mm-hmm. a birthday party in the mall, and I happened to be in the mall. And she and, and, and her, her her daughter saw me and said, "Aren't you mommy's friend or whatever?" And I'm like, "Oh my god, I don't want to run into you. I'm having a birthday party here, my mommy." And I'm like, "I don't want to talk to you, mommy. Your mommy missed my daddy's funeral." But of course, I did. She's a child, so then I saw her, and you know, she's like, "Is everything okay?" And I'm like, "Yeah, you know, I tried it because it's a birthday party. I'm not going to bring it up at a birthday party." But then she kind of walked me to the side and she said, you've been acting funny. And I said, I, didn't, I, I don't appreciate the fact that you did not come to my father's funeral. She apologized right there on the spot, but I just didn't feel it. I didn't receive it. Mm-hmm. I didn't receive uh, it. I didn't so, receive it. I don't know why I didn't receive it, but I didn't. I heard it, but I didn't receive it. Well, I wonder, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it seems like it, when it's, when it hurts this bad and when it doesn't, when the normal things don't do it, it to me, it, it also symbolizes that this is a sacred wound. I mean, just like mm-hmm. what I'm kind of in the midst of, like it's not an easy fix. And so to call it, to know that it's a sacred wound, which means if there's something bigger at play, it doesn't mean to just leave it alone. It means like you, there's this requires a lot of light to be shined on this in order to heal it. And just like with what mm. happened with Sue, it took her out of her comfort zone to seek the healing that she needed in order mm. to get it. Just like the Dalai Lama, it's like he's exiled, mm-hmm. so he had to try, had to travel and learn. So to me, there's what's sacred about this wound is that it's causing you to ask questions that you might not otherwise ask. It might be causing you to have to learn things about yourself, causing you to have to go to healers like Nancy and learn things and feel things that you otherwise wouldn't. And then maybe years from now, when you do heal, when you do heal from this, you'll realize that you've also learned a tremendous amount about yourself and the human psyche and spirit. So maybe this is not meant to be one of those quick, easy, just hurry up and forgive her kind of things, but be curious about it and to give it some reverence as you explore it. That's that's what's on my mind. And maybe because I keep dreaming about her, that's what this is all about. Because she, she's got to be in my spirit in some way. I mean, why do I keep dreaming mm-hmm. about this? This is a person that made me mad. I'm angry. You miss my... But I'm yet still I'm dreaming about her. She shouldn't be... I, am I her? Well, am I absolutely. Her? I believe so. I mean, I in my, if it were my dream, everyone in the dream is me. And everyone in our lives yeah. is an aspect of ourselves as well. And and it's really how we put them. I mean, to me, the, here's my quick thing, and, and we only have a minute here, but I want to say this because this popped in after I was reading Sue's book. There's something about feeling – okay, so you've heard me talk about the rings of Saturn like the heart mm-hmm. being multi-ringed. And it, what what may have happened was that you had this person in the center ring. She was so important oh. to you. Ooh. And then she did this thing that mm. somebody in the center ring shouldn't do. So mm. really, she she maybe never even really belonged in that center ring, or maybe she mm. did. But, Preach but, it. When, Preach when it. You, <laughs> but when you put <laughs> your 25 rings out, she's actually a Ooh. lovely person. She just doesn't belong Ooh. in the center ring. So part Ooh. of the upset is the kind of the tantrum of saying, once upon a time, she lived in this inner ring. I kind of wish she Ooh. would, except she did this thing so she can't. And so there's this, this pain. And acceptance is the key to serenity, accepting that maybe she once upon a time lived there and now she doesn't. So there you go. Thank you, Denise. Oh, you preaching, girl. You preaching today. Call you Reverend Kelly today, baby. I love it. Yeah. Hallelujah.
and past yes. the potatoes. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you, Denise. And thank you, Nancy T. Thank you, Susan Shapiro, for sharing your awesome dream. Thank you, Susie Plaxton, for calling in. Everyone, go get your copy of the Forgiveness Tour. We have Aspen Mattis who will join us next week. Until then, don't take your dreams lying down. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Do you have an online course or an event or a book you'd like to promote? We've got the right audience for you. Our listeners love content like the show you just heard. You can reach our engaged audiences by advertising right here on mindbodyspirit.fm, the podcast network, in shows about wellness, self-care, spirituality, angels, and more. Contact info at mindbodyspirit.fm.